I'm Michael Susco, and this is 101 Stage Adaptations. Welcome to 101 Stage Adaptations. I'm your host, Melissa Schmitz. I'm a theater artist and arts administrator, and I wrote my first stage adaptation when I was 22. Now I'm interviewing playwrights about their own adaptations, their creative process, and how they make it all work. Welcome back, everybody. Whether you are joining us for the first time or you've been around for a while, I hope you will hit that follow or subscribe button wherever you are listening to this episode. And because it is spooky season, today we have a special treat for you. No tricks, all treats. And for my New York and New Jersey listeners, we are going to talk about an upcoming production happening near you that you do not want to miss. Michael Susco's work as a writer and director has been seen at the New York Theatre Festival, Midtown International Fringe Festival, Alternative Theatre Company, Network Theatre Company, Equity Library Theatre, and the New Short Play Festival, where he serves as artistic director, and also the Arkansas Shakespeare Theatre, Theatre Under the Stars, Casa Manana, Cider Mill Playhouse, Theatre by the Sea, Paper Mill Theatre, Westchester Broadway, Arizona Broadway, Arkansas Repertory, and 12 years as resident director of the New Bedford Festival Theater, where he helmed a variety of musicals, including their Moss Hart Award-winning productions of Hairspray and Les Miserables. As a performer, Michael has been seen in several Broadway national tours, European tours, and countless regional appearances, including stints at the Goodspeed Opera House, Paper Mill Playhouse, Walnut Street Theater, Bristol Riverside, Ogonquit Playhouse, Sacramento Music Circus, Pittsburgh CLO, and Stages St. Louis, and also many film, television shows, and commercials. As an educator, Michael taught theater at Shadron State College in Nebraska and served as head of the theater program at Southern Arkansas University. He teaches playwriting at ATC Studios in Clifton, New Jersey. He received his BFA in playwriting at Goddard College and a BFA in musical theater at the Boston Conservatory. He is a member of Actors' Equity, SAG-AFTRA, and Stage Directors and Choreographers Society. Please welcome to the show, Michael Susco. Hi, Michael. Hello, Melissa. I hear you reading that, and I we should have just said, Michael's done some stuff. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> it's so much. I love it. Um, on the day we're recording this, tomorrow is your birthday. Happy early birthday. Do you have any plans? Uh, I will probably go out to dinner with my husband and just enjoy the day. I love it. I love it. Um, and also, what better way for a playwright to celebrate their birthday than with an upcoming world premiere? Hello. Congratulations on that. Thank you. It's been exciting. The cast is in rehearsals now. Uh, so we've been we've been really having a, a good time creating something new and something spooky. Yes. Okay. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But on this show, I like to start at the very beginning. And so, Michael Susco, what is your first theater memory? I got into the theater and it was a teacher because it's always a teacher, isn't it? It is. Uh, yeah. So my music teacher, uh, a trumpet player, and she was also the musical director of a community theater the Merriam Players in Binghamton, New York. And they were doing South Pacific. And she said, they need some kids. Do you want to come and audition? So I went in and I got to play little Jerome in South Pacific. 
adorable. I got hooked. And I, you know, so I was doing a lot of community theater and then I started doing, you know, doing school um, shows at school. And then I, I was the one going to do, you know, summer programs mm. uh, uh, when I was in high school. And then I was like, well, I'm going to be safe. And I went and got a, I was going, getting a musical education degree. I was going to teach music. Yeah. And uh, a couple of years of that. And I said, mm, I don't think I'm just. I don't think I really want to be a third grade music teacher. Mm. And I said, I'm just, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And I, I always wanted to do theater. So I just jumped in into the deep end and see what happens. At, at what point were you, did you get your music education degree or did you like switch like mid, <laughs> mid college? I, I was going to the Crane School of Music in Potsdam, New York for two years. And then I ended up transferring. I jumped. I actually went to the Hart School of Music for a semester, and then I bounced up to the Boston Conservatory. Woo! That's and impressive. just got rid of all the stuff and just went in. I'm going to be a theater person. Let's figure it out. Yeah. And was it I was, was like, it acting? It, it was musical theater. So I was, you know, okay. I, I, I danced my way through 20 years of a show of a career. I love it. And then I direct. That was really what I wanted to focus on. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, you know what? All this, you know, dancing eight shows a week is really starting to hurt. Mm. And I jumped out and I started directing. I doing a lot of directing, doing a lot of choreography. Um, then I was teaching. Uh, and we have a mutual friend, uh, yes. Sam Hall. Yes. Who pushed me to get my master's. Mm -hmm. And I got my master's and then I just started writing and yeah, I, so I, my path was very twisty and windy, but I'm really happy that it's gotten me through. Yeah. That's awesome. Like you've done it all. You've done acting, directing, writing, choreographing, teaching, artistic director. Are you still kind of focused broadly on all of those things in this season of your life? Or are you, um, pursuing are, are you more focused or or what where are you right now in this season of your life i think it's being in the arts yeah to say you're going to do one thing yeah i you know that's cute <laughs> right yeah. right like you know it's like you know when you, when you're young and you have your resume like you're you're an actor and you have your picture and resume and then you have to put all your special skills and you know always put it, the more skills you have the more work you get that's just mm -hmm. the way it is and i feel you know right now that's my resume is the more skills i have the more opportunities there is just for me to keep working mm, yeah and so it's you know i would it be great to do just say i'm just gonna be a playwright yeah. Well, am I going to pay the mortgage? <laughs> right. Right. So you know, there's a, there's a reality to that. Um, I you know, and I pre would prefer to stay working in the arts. Yeah. So again, I'll put my I'll put my hands into whatever hat is being right. passed around whatever day, and I yeah. enjoy it all. I really do learning. I always feel like you know I'm I'm, I'm always a student. Mm, for sure. How do you manage being a multi-hyphenate artist? 
is there is there any any time where it's like too much and you have to say no to something you really want to do because your plate is too full? Yes. Yeah. No, I think um the plate does sometimes the plate does get full and I really have a bad habit of saying yes mm. when I should probably say, "Hmm, let me think about that." Yeah. Uh, but I think you know, just being again. I keep saying, like, just as artists, and just we ju- we have to learn to juggle a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you if you're not juggling, then you're probably not working. Because things, I wish, I really wish we could say things line up. You know, like, oh, you know, this is going right. to end June, mm-hmm. and then my next thing starts. And then, oh, okay, okay, that's going to go through until this, and then I can keep lining things up. Mm-hmm. And it's possible to line everything up. So you just try to right. overlap as neatly as possible. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any tips on on how you how you manage that? I I have a I still am old fashioned, and I have a calendar that I must write in. Hmm. Yeah. I said all these people who are in their phones and putting their schedules, I, I, I will lose track of my entire life if I don't see it. Yeah, same. I, ha- I have a tiny little planner that I write in. I just feel like if I put it in somewhere digitally, something will happen and it will get lost or like <laughs> erased somehow mysteriously. Yeah. Um. So let's get into the show that you're you're doing a premiere of. Oh my gosh. So Hi. the show is the world premiere of the stage adaptation of the house on haunted Hill. Um, how did you decide to make a stage version of this? We're talking about the 1959, 59, right? 1959 I- film. What is, um, and what is your yeah. relationship to the source material? Uh, yeah. So it is house on haunted Hill. It's a William castle film and he was, king of the B-movies in the the 50s. And Rob White wrote the screenplay for this uh, screen. He wrote the screenplay for the film. And I have always loved that film. You know, I'm Mm. the one that could, when they had the Sunday afternoon movies, these were the kind of films that they were showing when I was a kid. And I've always been drawn to it just this you know the the, the old hammer films like uh the draculas and the frankensteins and i just i just really had a blast and so i, I it's something that i'm always like this would make a good stage show this would make a good stage show and thinking oh somebody's clearly done this right and then all of a sudden i noticed that no nobody has done it mm. And, oh, it's in the public domain. What? Mm-hmm. How, how did that happen? And so, again, it was just something that was on my back burner. And then it was this January, actually, where I finally said, I'm going to write something. Mm-hmm. I want to write something that people are going to love. I'm going to adapt this film. I'm going to do House on Haunted Hill. And my husband and I took a trip to London and we went into all these theaters and I was looking at all the mystery, all the mysteries that were playing there. Mm. And I was just inspired. I bought a notebook and I started writing while I was there. Oh, I love it. Oh, that's so good. Um, how did you go about verifying if this was in the, the public domain or if you needed to obtain any sort of rights? 
So to anyone listening, make sure you do your homework. Yes. Uh, it was on the movie. The film is in the public domain. I said going online. And so I'm like, great, it's, it's mine. But then I'm like thinking, mm, I better, I better tread carefully. Cause I just didn't want any nightmares to come back around. Yeah. So I went to uh, the volunteer lawyers of the arts. Mm. Great organization. I highly recommend anyone if you're looking um, for a lawyer that for those of us who can't necessarily afford, mm-hmm. uh, they do their work pro bono. Uh, so I got some lawyers and mm-hmm. we met up and they were looking at everything. And so between the three of us, they're like, oh, well, I guess it is in the public domain. And we, I was I was worried about the the castle estate. Mm. That was all. That was my biggest concern. Is I didn't want the castle estate to come, yeah, and freak out. Uh, so they recommended that I go contact the castle estate, go and see, ask any questions. See, is this indeed in the public domain? And do I can I may I please? Mm-hmm. And I thought so. Yes, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go and ask for permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good luck with that. This is this is uh, <laughs> the story. The story gets uh, more complicated because um, the lawyers gave me phone numbers and he, oh, you just call this number here. I, I found it online. Well, the mm. Castle Estate doesn't exist there. That's no longer a business, and this isn't that. And doing my mm. research, Terry Castle is the daughter of William Castle, and she is uh, in control of the estate. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find her. Social media, da, da, ba, ba, ba. she's yeah. like she didn't, I couldn't find her. And so for days I'm Googling, yeah. trying to find things. And finally a name and a, her name came up and an address and a phone number. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is her. Right. But I called and says, I wrote, A, I wrote a letter and I still have it. Mm-hmm. To this. Uh, and then I called the phone number and just says, hi, I'm looking for Terry Castle of the William Castle estate. And this, I'm trying to get in contact about House on Haunted Hill. Mm-hmm. And the next day I got a return phone call saying, hi, you called yesterday. Who are you and what do you want? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm looking for... Terry Cassidy says, well, you found her. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was her husband who also happens to be her lawyer. Mm. And I explained to him what I was trying to do. And he says, you know what? I'll talk with Terry and we'll give you a call back. Mm-hmm. So we got to talk and it is, she's like, yes, it is definitely in the public domain uh and her lawyer was saying that in the time that they were transferring the movie studios the production companies paperwork got um mishandled yeah so it fell into the public domain because of that and he says yes indeed it is in the public domain uh and I said, I didn't want to do anything disrespectful to the piece. I wanted to actually honor mm-hmm. the, 
the film. I didn't, I've seen somebody has done a play that it was more of a parody and it mm -hmm. was fun of it. And I said, I really yeah. want to get, I want to do what her father was doing, you know, to, to scare the wits out of people yeah. and just have, go sit down in a dark theater and have a good time. Mm -hmm. um, I told her exactly what I was thinking of doing with it, the twists and the turns. And she said, she said, I think that's a good idea. I like it. And good luck. Amazing. Amazing. So, did you technically need to get permission from them because it was in the public domain? Not that we're going to suggest that people just write things without, but did, but did you actually need it legally or was it just sort of like, you know, a reassurance that, that you had their blessing? I, if the work is truly in the public domain, domain, you don't need permission. It's just there. However, I really just, I, 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 if I could actually reach out and be respectful yeah, and say, could, would, may I please do this? And this is what I want to do. I, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And I, it just felt, it felt like the right thing to do. And yes, yeah. I wanted to make sure I wasn't going to get myself in a mess. Right. Because uh, who wants cease and desist letters? No, nobody. Was there any issue regarding the 1999 remake that may have that may have posed a problem with your ability to dramatize the original film? Or was it because the original work is in public domain, it's it's free game? The rights to the public domain work is the 1959 film. Mm -hmm. So the remake is its own thing. Mm -hmm. And I have clear of everything and anything that may even wink. Yeah. In that direction. Uh, so that we're not. Yeah. I, I, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want any help from that side because I don't, I, that, that's not, that's not the story right. that I actually want. I I saw the 1999 remake. At, I saw half of it at like a like a high school sleepover, and I and it was like too much for me. Like it's like they're so nasty to each other. <laughs> like there's there's murders that happen, right? But that's like different than being like just cruel and saying really nasty things. So like as a teenager, I was like, this is this is too much. I don't like it. But um. But it was definitely an, an update and much more like intense, whatever, and not not what this play is. This play is like a little bit more tame in terms of language, I think. Um, but what makes your adaptation different from the original film? Well, the original film is only about an hour 15. Oh, wow. It's that. It's a short film. Um, so there was no way to make a full-length play out of just the... If, if I just took the film and said, I'm just going to put this on the stage. Yeah. There, there was no way. And I actually went and I transcribed um, word by word the, the film. And oh, I wow. made my own listening to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also the film goes, takes us through the house into different rooms. It takes us into the basement. Yeah. It takes a lot of places within the house. And 
I just felt, okay, I, what I really want is a show that people can easily do. Right. One set, one yep. room. Uh, so in a way, I was creating my own Agatha Christie drawing room. Yeah. Mystery. Yeah. Mm, and so it. where do I go there? And how can I, how can I make that happen? So it really is condensing the, how, how I can make all of that happen in one room. Yeah. When you transcribed the film, how many pages of dialogue was that? Oh gosh, I don't remember. Not many. Oh wow. No, maybe 20, 25 maybe. Oh. Wow. That's interesting. Mm. No, there's not there's there's not a lot. Right. Well, part of horror is like suspense and with suspense you need lots of silence. <laughs> Right. So that probably, yeah. that probably how it filled it all out. Um, what were the particular challenges uh, with this piece regarding adaptation from film to stage um, or in terms of writing or staging the horror genre itself? Well, I think for me, the best adaptations are the, Plays that take the, the 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 source material and make it theatrical. Mm. Yes. Can you talk and more so about that? Want, yeah, we just don't. I don't think we don't go to the theater to watch an episode of Murder She Wrote. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. I can stay home for that. So again, how can we make it? How can we make it big? How can we make it theatrical? How can we make, you know, how can we get jump scares in there? Uh, how can we create the mood? Yeah. Uh, in in the space? How can we, I really want the audience to sit there and go, I'm really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and being able to see some of the stuff happen live. Yeah. Is sometimes more exciting than it is watching it on a film. Mm. You know, yeah. cause there's danger. Involved. Right. Right. What sort of updates did you feel were necessary when writing the dialogue for your adaptation? Uh, because like dialogue and pacing are very different in, in film and theater, but like particularly from something from 60 years ago. Yeah. The, the, the dialogue, the, the, the store, it is very 1950s. Yeah. Uh, and for all the goods and the bads that come with that. And so there's things that we, I really had to sit down. There are today, we have social media, we have cell phones, we have electronic um, devices. Again, we ha all of this stuff exists that it doesn't make, how can I acknowledge that and use that as opposed to ignoring it? Because it's not believable. You know, like, yeah. why would they not have phones? Why would they not have this? Why would they? So how can, how can I justify that? And so that was a lot of the, the leaping off point. Uh, and with, uh, for those, if you're, if, if people who don't know House on Haunted Hill, the story is that this rich billionaire invites a small group of people to a haunted house. And if they choose to stay the night, he'll give them all in the movie. It's $10,000 in the, 
in the play, they're each going to get a million dollars if they stay the night. Yeah. And so they all get end up getting locked in the house, and then obviously evil things start happening. Yes. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's being able. So again, we have all these things today that we know about. Right. And I didn't want to just pretend they didn't. I didn't want to set it in that time. Mm. I wanted it to be a modern, a modern story. Mm-hmm. And, and was was yeah. that right away when you were like, I want to write this? Was it always going to be a modern adaptation, or were, did you ever think about like just putting it, putting it on stage, like what it looks like on film? I don't think I would have. I wouldn't have believed it if I saw it on stage as it is. Mm. Like, why is the, that? You know, it's just it. it it's a little, uh, it's, it's B movie. It's a yeah. B movie. It, it's a little cheesy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one of those films where y- the young ingenue screams a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you, you basically see people holding their hands going. Mwah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And, you know, I said, it's just, I said, today's audiences, I, I just don't think. Yeah. So. Nobody. You want it to be a horror play, not a comedy. Correct. <laughs> or, oh my God, just rolling their eyes. And I actually was thinking, I was really writing it for a younger theater crowd. Okay. This is theirs. And I said, that's why I was very tame with the language. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's, we were talking about, you know, the advertisements going out right now, how I said, I think it's a very healthy PG 13. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, you know, I, I wouldn't bring small, small children. No, but I think it would be a fun, but all the teen, you know, kids in high school would love this. Right. Was there a dramaturgical modification that you were particularly proud of? Uh, you know, I loved one of the mo- the most fun things was when the cast did their first table read, mm. and the director actually never allowed any of the cast members to see the script. Oh, okay. In the table read, as they were going, oh, 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 you know, and at the end, they're like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I never. I didn't see any of that coming from a million miles away. Oh, I love it. And yeah, so the twists are fun. They're unexpected. And yeah, I hope everyone just goes for the ride. Yeah, totally. Well, they'll have to. (laughs) There's no choice, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) The doors are locked. Remember, that's part of the story. Yes. (laughs) You changed a couple of names from the original film. What was the inspiration for that? Yeah. A lot. The the names that they just seemed like vintage names to me. Mm, you know, okay. Ruth, you know, Ruth and Nora, and it just they just felt like okay, that's not. Yeah, you know, those feel dated. Uh, and there's two characters in the play that I was actually writing with two very specific actors in mind. Mm, okay. And so they, as I'm writing, I'm seeing them 
And so the names actually complement them. Mm. Okay. And so it just made sense to me as I was writing it going, oh yeah, this is, you know, this is Liz and Liz was, my, you know, my friend, Andy, who I've done many, many shows with. And are those actors playing those roles in this production? They are not. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> no, one of, them, one of them is a little busy. Um, uh, you may be, uh, I don't want to drop names, um, but I will. Okay. Uh, you, <laughs> now, uh, Rachel Ziegler, who you may know, she's the Marie on West Side Story. She's coming mm. to be the Snow White. She went to school at ATC Studios. Nice. That's where she studied. Okay. So the director, the 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 director of the play is also the director of ATC Studios. Oh, perfect. And so I, it, just because it came from the studio, I was just like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm writing with Rachel in mind. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, no, we're not going to get Rachel, but I heard her voice. Yeah. Yeah. So the role of Maya was Rachel. I love it. Well, in future productions, I am perfect for the role of Liz, and I also look forward to aging into the role of Mrs. Watson, because I understand both of those characters very well, so you uh, can put that in the back files of your mind. <laughs> Liz is, she's, she is my favorite character, only because I think if I am in this play, it is Liz. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> it's so good. Uh, there are some very detailed stage directions and, and descriptions of the set, which I love to see in, in plays. Uh, were you writing this play for a particular venue? You know, I wrote my fantasy. Mm, I love that. I said, this was how I see this story. Yeah. This is the room this is how i see how it's going to be i i was dreaming big yes and i just feel it's a big huge scary gothic house lots yeah. of woods lots of yes stuff uh but as it turns out our production here the, is not in a big large space they are we are doing it in an art gallery oh wow Okay. And change. it's their first time doing a stage production in this oh, space. Cool. Oh, cool. So how how are you navigating that in terms of audience placement and just setting in general? It's a very long, skinny room. Okay. So how um, Kathleen, Kathleen Calais is the director, and she's really, truly wonderful, and she's really bringing so much... Uh, that I didn't see. Um, but she's bringing the play out into the space. So the actors, it's, 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 the, the actors um, come into the audience. The audience kind of wraps around uh, the, the front part of the house. So they're actually like, they're in the house. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, and like, it just sounds like already that like the claustrophobia of being in a narrow space with all these people with creepy stuff happening will just add to the the mood and the suspense. Yes, yeah, that's that's that is the goal. <laughs> There's it's just I did, it, it's happened again we're doing this at Halloween. Yeah. We have some great 
designers who are really doing some great work. And yeah, it's it, I, I, the production meeting the other day, they were all throwing ideas back and forth. And I'm just sitting back mm. thinking, all right, you know, that y'all have this. That's so great. Um, so there's a, a warning in the script that's written in the script that uh, you're required to be posted in the lobby that basically says, this play contains ghosts and murder, and it's not for the faint of heart, so this is your chance to exit. But if you're looking for a bloody good time, enjoy the show. <laughs> is this just a fun way to present a content warning, or what? what is the purpose of this, uh, having this in the script as a requirement for the front of house? Yeah, I think that's that's my way of control. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, I, I am I allowed to say that I am not a fan of the trigger warning? Sure. Yeah, I'm not uh, really either. I, I sometimes just think it gives too much information away in the Agreed. play. Yes, I understand the the need for them, but I'm coming from my own place saying, Ugh, do we really need that? Right. So, but in this play, <laughs> there is a gun. Right. I, it, it, it is 2023. We must somehow acknowledge that there is a gun on stage. Yeah. And so I just said, well, and so then there's like, this play c contains guns, ghouls, and ghosts. Yeah. That, and then there's murder, mayhem, and you know, it's just so that everyone knows there's a gun, there's murder, these things... Are yeah. going to happen, but William Castle did that. He was a showman. He right. was fabulous in his way of selling things. So, in a way, that was mine, my way of honoring William Castle, completing my responsibility as a as a um, story teller and a story maker. That mm -hmm. there's there are things in this that may yeah be uncomfortable. Yeah. Is it becoming more commonplace that playwrights will write their own content warnings for plays? I haven't seen it. Okay. But I think it would be fun if more writers did do their own trigger warnings. It's kind of like the, when I love it when the cast gets on the system at the top of the show about turn off your cell phones or we'll come and kill you and unwrap your bloody candies or, you know, we will send the firing squad out to you just yeah. to make the audience get the information, but let's laugh a little bit about it. Right. Right. We, we laugh about it, but then people still unwrap the candies during like the quiet parts. It's like, could you just not? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, so th th so there'll be no candies at House on Haunted Hill, and <laughs> <laughs> I hope everyone knows that a gun is making its um, will make an appearance. Right. Why do you think horror rarely gets put on stage? I have no idea. It is one of the most requested genres in theaters. Every theater mm. is always looking for a thriller. They're always looking for a suspense play. Uh, I've known theater companies that they have one every season. Mm. Um, every season they have to have one. Yeah. And because that's the one that sells. Mm. How many times? Death Trap. How many times right. can we do 
who, um, uh, and then there were none. How many right. times we see the woman in black? It's, it, there's not that many out there. Right. And so I've always, in my writing class, I, I always joke with my students saying, you know what, if you want to sell a play, write a thriller. Mm. Write a thriller and write a holiday play. Yes. Uh, I finally took my own damn advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so good. Tell the people where they can, uh, when and where they can see your production of House on Haunted Hill. Well, we are coming fast and furious. We're in Clifton, New Jersey. Uh, so that is just outside the New York City metro area. Um, but it's October 22nd through the 24th and the 27th through the 29th. So that's the last two weekends in October. It's the Kismet Performing Artists Theater and the Clifton Art Center is where the performance will be taking place. Uh, but you can find information for the play uh, at Kismet, Kismet Performing Artist Theater uh, online. You can Google if you want to just find me. It's posted on my website. So you can find um, find information through my website, michaelsusco.com. And so, yeah, it's going to be, it, it's, it's, it, there's a lot of good buzz around it because it's interesting when I tell people, I'm doing this. Oh, I love that film. Oh my God, somebody's doing that. Oh my God, that's great. Oh yeah. Yes. That's so exciting. So it's just to the title. Right. Yes. And for those of you listening, of course, I will have all of those links in the show notes for you to easily click on and buy those tickets. Uh, I'm sad I'm not on the East Coast, so I can't come see this because it's a great script. It's really fun. Um, I'm sure I will be scared. <laughs> while watching it right because like it did it reads very quickly i read it so it reads very quickly um but like i'm sure it doesn't unfold very quickly i'm sure there's lots of pauses and suspense and silence where it's like oh and like scary noises in the background to make people yeah jump. there's a but, lot of yeah yeah there's a lot of of sound like that we have a sound right. uh diner who has his work cut out for him because there's a lot of sound effects the lighting designer, there's a, it's, the play's dark. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, how can we, how can we keep the audience on their feet? Right. I was uh, in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival just recently. Mm. And I went and saw a, a live seance. Oh God. As and, a, as a fringe show. So was it real or was it fake? Well, it, <laughs> He he's okay. This is it's a uh, it's a. He's going to do or as, as it's advertised, they're going to do a, a real Victorian séance. I love it. Sold. But then he <laughs> comes out saying, "Look, here's the deal. I don't believe in ghosts. I am not a medium. I am a magician. Mm -hmm. However, he says, I do this show every day, and he says things happen that I can't explain." Mm. And then you watch the show and wow, that it, there is, it is complete audience manipulation. Yeah. And you just get them 
looking where you want them to look. Yes. Uh, and, and his job is let's make them as uncomfortable as they can, work them up into a frenzy, and then run away. And then your, <laughs> yes. audience, is left, <laughs> your audience is left stunned. Oh my gosh. Did that influence when you came back from, from the seance <laughs> from Edinburgh Fringe? Did you uh, add some things to this script from that? Yes, actually. Yes. And then I had a, the, the director and I spoke about a little bit about it, but I said, yes, again, it's magic. Yeah. Nobody thinks we don't need to see how the, the workings happen. That's irrelevant. Right. Right. Can you give us, can you give us a taste? You don't have to like, obviously give away the trick, but what, what did you learn from the seance show that you added into your script? When the audience is looking in one direction, something is happening in another part of the stage that yeah. if you're paying attention, you're going to see things happening that that's not important, but it will probably, if you see it, it's going to create a reaction. Yeah. Oh, if that's not a teaser, I don't know what is. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. Um, so, so you said that you got the idea for this in January or you started writing it in January. Is that right? The idea has been in my brain for a very, very long time. Yeah. But January is when I finally said, I'm, go I'm going to write this. Yeah. Uh, I wanted again, but I was my last film, my last play that um, we ran at the New York Theater Festival in June. Uh, can I cuss on? Of course. <laughs> okay, so the the title of that play is "Fuck Mary Kill," mm -hmm. and it deals with a lot of society um, things in society and um, gender and misogyny, and it, it's it's a very heavy play, and it's very there's. The F word is liberal mm -hmm. in the script. And I'm like, I don't know where, who's going to do this. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I said, I just want to write a play that everyone wants to go to. Mm. I want to write flat out. I said, I am writing a commercial play that I, if every community theater in America does it, I will be happy. Ooh, yes. This is, so this is my way of saying here, take this. And I think there's nothing, I, I say, there's nothing offensive. There's there's no agenda to the right. play. Uh, it is just a fun time. Let, let's yeah. go in, see, watch some really crazy characters, do and say some really crazy things. Uh, hope you get scared a little bit. Yeah. But it's a play. It's a play for everybody. I love it. Oh my gosh. I, I remember you posted in one of the, the playwriting Facebook groups that we're both a part of. You're something about like you were looking for the rights to this. I remember the this title came up like as you were trying to do some research. And I was like, that that was this is very quick. Like you seem to write very quickly and then suddenly there's a production of this new script. What is your secret to writing and mounting work so fast? <laughs> yeah, you're cute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you started writing it in January and it's October and there's a production happening. I am, I work wonderfully with a deadline. Yeah. I said, you give me a deadline and I'm on it. Uh, what happened was I said, I just started, I said, I, I got my little cute little notebook mm -hmm. uh, 
at, in London and I started writing on the train. Yeah. Here's my ideas and this is what I want to do. And I started writing and I'm frantically writing ideas. And we were in a, uh, ATC Studios does a monthly theater group called The Shack, which is a group for artists to get together and once a month on Zoom. And we all just, you know, topics come up, we help each other, we toss ideas back and forth, or it's just, it's an artist support group. Yeah. So we do this once a month. And so it had to have been the February meeting where Kathleen Clay said, Michael, do you know of any thrillers or that are that are out there? And I said, oh, I'm writing one. Mm-hmm. And she said, really? Can I see it? Well, <laughs> if anything is going to put a fire under your ass. Yes. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, a producer saying, can I read your script? Right. Can I read your script that you written three pages of? <laughs> yes. And, uh, so I frantically wrote act one. Yeah. And so I had, I had a rough act one and gave that to her, but I purposely was holding off until I had this lawyer meeting. Right. I said, I don't want to finish this until I talk to somebody because mm -hmm. I don't want burned. Right. And so there was, there was, several weeks of I'm not doing anything and mm. I'm getting, well, where's the end? Where's the end of it, Michael? Mm -hmm. um, and then, <laughs> well, shit, now I got to finish act two. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my gosh. That's great. So, so yeah. So then I was just like, okay, I'm frantically finishing act two. And so they got the rough draft of the entire play Mm -hmm. And it, they liked it, and so they said, "You know what? We will, will we will produce it." And so it. for the, this is a Kismet Performing Artists Theater is brand spanking new. This is their first production as, a, as a company. Oh God! Yes, good for them. Um, <laughs> good for trying, all of you. They were trying to get this done before COVID, and they ah. were just getting ready to launch that spring. Mm-hmm. And shit happened. Yeah. So that all got put on hold. And then, okay, so then they, it turns out, they said, we want to open in the fall. And they just thought, you know, let's, if we do it in October and we do something with a Halloween type theme. Yeah. So not only is this the premiere for the play, but it's the launching off point for this really wonderful group. Mm. Oh, I love that so much. Break all the legs with that. That sounds like yeah, they're just... a perfect match. So yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, that is so great. So switching topics to playwriting specifically, generally and specifically. Um, so you obviously write plays and you teach playwriting and you're the artistic director of the New Short Play Festival. Did I get that right? Yes. So um, are there any trends that you're seeing right now in playwriting, either that we're moving toward or moving away from? Right now, I think what's huge is solo plays. Oh, okay. 
everyone's writing a solo play only because it's cheap. Right. You know, yeah. I can write a play and I can take it. It's ju it's just the easiest way to produce something. And um, so there's a lot. Of, I said immersive theater is pretty big right now. Yeah. I, you know, I see a lot of that, like, you know, turning things into a speakeasy. Yes. Uh, Sleep No More is still playing mm. in New York. Uh, so, yeah, people, they I think now a lot of theater goes theater goers want an experience yes that's true for these solo shows is it autobiographical works or is it just like one person is it a mix of both of like you know a somebody telling a story versus somebody sharing about their life i think it's a mixed bag and actually i have definite opinions on this because <laughs> everyone wants me everyone um wants me to uh go to their solo show. Yes. Uh, and I think the best solo shows are the ones that actually take you on a real journey, a beginning, middle, and an end. It is a play. Right. Uh, and most solo shows are their story. Right. And I think for me, and I, I apologize to all the writers out there, <laughs> I said, sometimes I think I'm going to your solo show and you would have been better spent telling it to your therapist <laughs> yes yes you know thank I, said, you. I, I don't make me sit through your therapy session right right uh because it's i find that really uncomfortable yeah uh but is it a great story i and it, it doesn't have to be right. uh I mean, you look at Fleabag. I said what she did with that, oh. you know, if you can follow her, that's the best solo show ever. Yeah. Uh, but I think you can entertain people. You can move people with your own story. But right. again, what is what is your goal? Is your goal to purge your own demons or is it to... Right. What, what is the audience doing? Right. I forget who question. I was. Uh, yes, thank you. I I forget who I was talking to about this. If it was in person or on, on a podcast interview, but like, uh, it's all plays can be therapy plays, but that doesn't mean like for the playwright themselves, like cathartic to write this thing, mm -hmm. right? But uh, and and sometimes it's fine to have to write a therapy play, and sometimes they're actually really good, but like just because you write it doesn't mean somebody should produce it. <laughs> like if it was just you writing something to get it off of your chest and you wrote it in a dramatic form, that doesn't mean it has to be produced. Like put it aside, work on it later and see if, see if there's something else there. <laughs> yeah. I, in my playwriting class, most of the people who are doing like intro to theater, people come to playwriting because they have their own story to tell. So yes. they come in with it. I'm, and they're, I'm telling, this is my story. And what I hear so often is, but that's what happened. And I'm like, but it's not, it, it's, it's important right. and exciting to you, but it is not exciting for the audience. There's nothing here that uh, I'm not entertained. I'm not feeling anything. I said, I'm just being fed the truth. 
And the truth is boring. Our mm. lives are really boring without it. And so, yeah. and then if I say, can you, can you dramatize it? Can you change it? Can you make this? Well, that's not what happened. Well. Right. Right. So right. again, who are you doing this for? Right. Yeah. Who are you doing this for? Do you think, so, so this is like a newer thing when people come in and want to write their own story. Is this a newer thing that you're noticing as a playwriting teacher? And if so, do you think that social media and like us always putting out parts of ourselves contribute to like that need and want? Hmm. I think anybody who has the desire to write their first show is always their story. I think it's just very interesting that I said, and even mine was, I said, oh, I need to, t I need to tell this story. Right. And out it comes. So I think, I do think most first time writers are writing a personal thing. Yeah. Um, I do think social media plays a part. I, I think people, there's a, I think, I think we spend too much time comparing ourselves to others and trying right. to keep up with the Joneses as it were. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of times I'll, like I said, with my, beginner playwrights I'll again forget about what's going on right now I'm gonna have you read you know Tennessee Williams Arthur Miller read some of the old stuff right just get a feel for what the craft right of playwriting is and you can actually it's easier sometimes to see how characters work and the conflict is so obvious in some of these um mm -hmm. classic plays yeah yeah. What, what I've noticed uh, recently is like a lack of conflict or the, the, the conflict is unclear. <laughs> Some like new plays that I've been seeing and I'm like, maybe I'm just old fashioned, but like, this is not interesting. And some of these works get like standing ovations when I'm seeing them in person. And I'm like, what? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, if there's, without conflict, there is no drama. That's true. There, That's what I so, think. And I, I'll have to, I have to research who the heck said it. But the quote is, but what is the audience doing? <laughs> and, right. Um, I work, I, I, I'm in a writer's group um, run by Jeffrey Sweet, who is a, a fantastic writer. Uh, so we have a weekly mm. uh, group with him and he's always, the audience has to, be put to work. He's he's always saying, get rid of adjectives, get rid of adverbs. He says, let the audience fill in the blanks. You're giving them a job. And if mm. you spell everything out, then the audience doesn't have any work right. to do. So they're just going to sit back and go, okay. Right. And that's, it's, I find myself now going back to, um, to my writing going up, oh, get rid of, <laughs> get rid of the adverbs, mm -hmm. get rid of the adjectives. Cut them all out. Cut them all out. Yeah. Another thing that's still happening now is um, the writers and actor strikes. Um, can you give any comment about how either of those are affecting you personally? Well, my day job is TV and film. 
So I am 100% shut down due to the strikes, which is very unfortunate. So yes, we, I, I have been on the picket line with my little Mm -hmm. sign. Uh, it's just, it's, 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 it's a, it's tough. I think theater is in the same mess. Uh, it's a different business model. Um, but the big, the big things right now are AI. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, companies cannot own anyone's likeness. Right. You cannot take my face and you slap it on something. Right. Um, writers, you can't go on to chat, you know, and create a script. Anyone who hasn't done that chat GPT, go online and say, write me a, a short scene about the tortoise and the hare. Uh, and it will write you out a story. Mm-hmm. They're not very good. Right. Uh, it's super cliche, but it can do it. And the executives don't care because it's cheap. Right. So I think we're just stuck now in what is, as artists need to be acknowledged. Uh, artists need to be respected. Mm-hmm. And I think now that big companies are coming in, that the human side of our business is being slowly chipped away. Right. And we're really just dollar signs. Mm-hmm. And Nobody, nobody is logging on to Netflix to watch a dollar sign. Nobody's going no. to the movies and shelling out however much money now to get a ticket to a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody wants, nobody's going to see dollar signs. They want to see characters. They want to see story. Yeah. The Barbie movie, for God's sake. Yes. Barbie and Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. That just told the world that people are there to see good story. Yes. 100%. And done by artists. It was created and developed by artists. And we want that. Every single person on the planet wants that. We do. And you keep feeding us Joker movies and you keep <laughs> whatever, you know, Joker part 17. <laughs> yeah. It's boring. Nobody, uh, nobody wants to. Nobody wants to go. Yeah. So mm. I think we're... I, 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 we're, I think just the arts and we're in a transition period and where it's going to go. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Let's talk about something a little bit more fun. Uh, okay. Every year you and your husband take a fabulous vacation and document it heavily on Facebook. What advice can you give to workaholic artists on taking a long vacation every summer uh, both from a financial and emotional perspective. <laughs> well, first of all, I'm going to say do it. <laughs> no, I just should, uh, do it. So, yeah, yes, the truth is um, my husband and I do go to, we do a, a European vacation every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I, I, we are very, very fortunate. Um, John sings at the Metropolitan Opera. here in New York. And so he has a set schedule. The season runs, it finishes in mid June and he doesn't have to go back to rehearsals until mid August. So he's got a chunk of time off in the summer. Yeah. Uh, 
And he, even before we met, he has been, he had been going, he went to language school in Bologna. Mm. He, you know, he just, he was traveling before, before me. And then when we got together, he's like, well, you're going. (laughs) You don't have a choice. (laughs) Now I was the, I was the person that would never take a vacation because if I'm not, if I'm vacationing, it means I'm not working. If I'm not working, I'm not making money. If Mm -hmm. I'm not making money, I'm living in a box on the street. Yes. So there's follow that. So that's just how my mental thing. So I just basically would work myself crazy. Yeah. And true story. Um, I had, I had a complete breakdown Mm. and I said, I don't want to do theater anymore. I'm done with this. I'm finished. I don't want to do with it. Uh I can't do this. If this, if, and I said, be careful what you wish for, which is I wanted to work a lot. Oh yeah. What you wish for, because it comes true and it drove me. Yeah. It was, it was not, it was very, it was a very, very, very dark period. Mm. Um, so I slowly started to tiptoe back into the arts. Yeah. Um, but I learned the value of, because of, you know, John just saying we're going. Mm-hmm. And again, because I do TV and film or when I was teaching, I had the summer off. I can take right. the time. Right. So who gets like this week, this year, you know, we were there almost six weeks. Yes, Who it was a long one. I was like, he's still on vacation. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we just we just kind of went and just kind of got okay. We're just going to get you know this is where we're going to stay for this chunk of time and just kind of exist there as opposed to I'd rather sit in a piazza in Italy than on my balcony. Of course, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but I I do think okay. So now I said so there. I think everyone nobody has that kind of luxury right uh very few but i do think it's really really important self-care is important yeah and we just um our i think our brains are wired differently than the normal person right and we need to shut down i think we do need to stop Mm -hmm. um and in this business the, the the hamster wheel is constantly going Yes. And I maybe some people realized in the pandemic when we were all shut down that, oh, maybe I don't want to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so maybe you don't need to leave the business, but maybe you need to just go do something else. Yeah. You know, can you, you know, okay, you, maybe, you know, Europe isn't your thing, but maybe go, you know, go to the Poconos. Mm-hmm. Um, take, you know, take yourself just, even if it's like a, a just a day for yourself, mm-hmm. take yourself on a date. Yes. Um, get away, be, just turn it all off. I think it is really, it's, it's helped me more than I ever thought it would. Mm. And it's, it's, it's given me a, a work-life balance that I didn't know yeah. before, John. Yeah. And it's important. I I do. I think we've, we, we can work ourselves crazy. We can work ourselves into the funny farm. Yes. Yes. And I say, 
stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, great yeah. advice. Thank you for that. Mm. So, Michael, this is 101 stage adaptations. Uh, what are some of your favorite stage adaptations? And now that you've written one, are there more in your future? Ah. Uh, we were speaking earlier that I think the best stage adaptations are the ones that turn something theatrical. Yeah. And all of a sudden, yeah, we're not just watching the movie, um, but we're watching a whole new thing. Right. Um, I mean, musicals typically do it more than straight plays. I think, you know, yeah. something like, you know, when they did Fun Home, I yeah. remember that reading the graphic novel and then seeing the graphic. I said, that's what they took from that. Mm. I can't believe that that song came from that picture. Mm. Um, I think Ragtime is one of the great um, adaptations of taking a book and making it. Wow. Yeah. Um, we were talking about mysteries. The woman in black mm -hmm. is uh, really, really fantastic. And that's like one of the best suspense uh, plays out there. And you know, if people are listening and want a a thriller with a small cast. It's two men and a woman. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved Thirty Nine Steps when that was mm. running. Yeah, because it's theatrical. It's right. Yeah. So, I, the, I, I, for me, it's always just going back to how are we how are we taking the original material and not just regurgitating it. Right onto the stage. Cause that's not, you know, that's not working. I said, how, how we're all tired. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, we got you know, all these movies that it was a hit movie in the eighties. Let's make it a Broadway show. Right. And none of them are working. I mean, they're popular right. for a hot second. Right. Yeah. So are you writing any more? I am. <laughs> and I'm going to say I loved working on this haunted house play so much i'm adapting another play i'd rather not say it right now because it is in the baby 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 stages i have uh, a notebook full of um i start writing my plan i write in prose okay and i just start writing thoughts and ideas so yes there is another one coming it is an adaptation of a novel public domain people mm -hmm. uh and yeah, so hopefully, yeah, maybe I'll have another mystery out there, another thriller. Ooh, oh my gosh, I can't wait. All right, we'll stay tuned for all I of love, that. I, I'm kind of playing with the style of, I, I don't know if you know the, the playwright Joe Orton. No, I don't. I said he was, yeah, sick, um, British, uh, Google him. But yeah, he wrote, he wrote some crazy things. I think I had, yeah, I even have. <laughs> oh. There it is. <laughs> the complete right plays. <laughs> the complete plays. Yes. Um. Uh, yeah. He. So he. He is an insane writer, and his characters are insane. He was insane. He. His own story was a tragedy. He was murdered. Mm. Um. But I. You know. I love. Again. I love that he can be dark by still being comic. Martin McDonough. I love that style. Oh yeah. Again, dark. And comic, so you're dark. laughing and you're horrified. Yes, my God. Uh, yeah. So it's like I, I, the, 
the aspirations. I want to be, I want to be dark and horrifying. Oh, I love it. Okay. Well, I'll check back with you. I'll probably see something about it on the Facebook and then I'll check in with you about it again. Woo. All right. Something, something is happening. Um, Michael, what is one thing a playwright can do today to improve their writing? Mm. Write the end. Like the words, the end? The end. Finish it. Your idea doesn't exist until you write it down. I, 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 99% of the plays are never finished. Oh. You know, I personally have a yeah. hard drive full of, you know, half-finished ideas. Uh, yeah. That just never finish it. Write the end. That is your first draft is the hardest thing to write. It is. Yeah. And it's going to suck. I promise you, every first draft sucks. Because mm. as soon as you write the end, that's when the real work starts. Yes. But that is the hardest point to get to mm. is the end of the first draft. That's mm. my, my belief. Okay. All right. We will take that to heart. <laughs> yeah. You know, just oh. write it down, write it down. Stop editing. Stop going back to the first scene to make it better. Right. Get to the end of your gosh darn play. Finish it. And then you can go back and say, oh, yeah. Um, I had a, a friend who she used to say that every first draft is like a feral child. <laughs> she, goes, <"They're> dark. <laughs> she goes, they're dark and gnarly and awful. And oh, my gosh. So once... <laughs> and your job now is to take that child, you know, that horror story of a child and turn it into something beautiful. Mm, that's great. Oh my gosh. My final theater question for you is if you found a magic lamp with Dionysus inside and he could grant you one theater wish, what would you wish for? <sighs> lose 10 pounds, lose 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. Poof, gone. Um, no, I think um, maybe it's to just be able to do what I love to do every day. Like, that's my thing. Yeah. You know, not have to worry about the gatekeepers that are constantly saying no, mm-hmm. but just be allowed. Just be allowed to do, you know, for creatives, if we're not creating, we're, our souls die. Oh, yes. <laughs> I feel that. And. And I said, so you, I just, yeah, but it even, so I, I'm going to be doing it no matter what. So why can't I just, that, can I please get paid? Right. <laughs> Money, please. Oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, yeah. and then also, how about make everything less expensive? Just uh, pr- right. producing, um, to, how's the, let, 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 can we just make it affordable? Right. Well, we'll see. Yeah. It's, it's a jungle out there. It is. Ooh. Um, so you have this world premiere of House on Haunted Hill happening. Is there any yes, uh, anything else that's that's on the horizon for you that you want to plug right now? You know, I've, I've got this play, um, House on Haunted Hill. Uh, we are looking for our next home for Fuck, Mary Kill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would love to, you know, that what we've had its first run. So I want, would love to continue the development of that. Um, I have this new play that I'm working on. So I do have some things, thank God, that are happening that are keeping me occupied. Um, I'm 
still teaching. We're getting ready to start up a new semester of playwriting at ATC Studios, atcstudios.org. Go find them for more information. Uh, yeah, let's, let, hopefully, you know, hopefully all of us, you know, everyone hope for the strike to end so we can all get back to work. Whew, yes. Yes, to yeah, so that's, you know, it's just, I, I'm trying to stay optimistic and keep, you know, just keep myself busy. Mm-hmm. It's important. So, Michael, where can people learn more about you and where can they buy tickets to House on Haunted Hill? I will say my website is www.michaelsusco.com. And always that is the easiest way to get in touch with me. There's a contact form. You can just click and it'll send me emails and stuff. But anything I'm doing is usually up there. Um, House on Haunted Hill. If you if you want tickets, if you want to find out where that is, more information. Just if you want to just see more of what the heck I've done and like who is this crazy lunatic <laughs> talking to us. Uh, yeah, so the, I, I think my website is the easiest way. Perfect. I will Hunt have all down. that in the show notes, of course, as always. Michael, this was so fun. Thanks so much for being oh, here today. Gosh, thank you. This was a blast. Thank you for listening to this episode of 101 Stage Adaptations. If you liked it, I hope you'll forward to a friend today. Sharing is caring, and word of mouth is still the best form of advertising. So I hope you'll share it with someone today. 101 Stage Adaptations is produced by me, Melissa Schmitz, with the help of Hello Podcast Media. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time.